Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. Start the show! It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 174. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show is an old friend. And when I say old friend, this guy I met in probably 2003. We happened to sit next to each other in a creative writing class up at CSU, and we just kind of hit it off. He got involved with the radio. We were friendly. We went to parties together and stuff, and it was like probably more than a decade, like 12 years before I saw him again, and I ran into him at this brewery, and I go, God, how do I know him? And it's Justin Feinsilver. and from there, we got to talking. You know, I have this show. He has a 3D printing company. I knew very little about 3D printing, but found it interesting. So had him on the show. We talked about that. Found out he was doing a nonprofit, invited him to present at Mile High 100. And then out of the blue, I get a Facebook message from him and he goes, hey, have you ever thought about doing an episode on foster parenting? And I thought, no, I hadn't thought of that explicitly, but I'm certainly open to it. I would be so down to talk about that. Why? Like, what's what's your angle? And he goes, well, I am a foster parent. And I go, good Lord, how did I not know this? Seriously, how did I not know with everything that you have going on that this is a part of your life? Yes, come on my show. Let's talk about it. So this episode is titled Episode 174, Justin Feinsilver, Foster Parent, Advocate. Because not only is he doing this and the ins and outs that he describes of this world to me are fascinating. And I think you'll find them fascinating too. And deeper and more complex than I would have ever imagined. Although after listening to the show, I'm not surprised by it. But he's also an advocate. He's trying to take what he has learned and increase knowledge of everyone that he has ever come across. There are a lot of elements to foster parenting, and Justin, to his credit, is able to describe them with clarity, with insight, and with a great deal of heart. This is the exact type of show that I want to do. And I'm just thrilled to bring it to you. And beyond that, I am incredibly thrilled that Justin is someone in whose orbit I find myself. Based on what I've seen out there, you can consider this episode a Foster Parenting 101. If you want an inside scoop in terms of what this is like, what goes on, I challenge you to find a better starting point. So again, I am just over the moon to bring this to you. We're going to limit the plugs here at the front because I want to get to this episode as quickly as possible. If you're new to the John of All Trades podcast, welcome. I've got more than 170 episodes of content ranging from everyone from entrepreneurs to Wall Street guys to tradespeople, including 
hairstylist, people who own a gun store, artists, tattoo shop owners, nonprofit folks. And essentially, I aspire to create more empathy in the world. The more we understand each other, the more we can understand each other's worlds, the less scary the world is. So we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, just search John of All Trades. That's J-O-N of All Trades. Give us a rating, give us a review once you get to those platforms, or you can find every episode hosted on the John of All Trades homepage, J-O-N-of-all-trades.us. They're all there. Take a browse, you'll find some cool stuff there. Now then, let's get to this week's episode. Number 174 is Justin Feinsilver. He's a foster parent, he's an advocate, and his episode starts right now. Um, she is almost 15 months now. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. it's like, you've got like, a, a, not, not a baby, but like, uh, a baby slash toddler. Yeah. Um, yes. usually when, and, and when you're looking in media or you're watching movies or something mm-hmm. and there's foster kids, it's almost always like, I think of like Terminator two, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. You know, where uh, where the kid is like 11 or 12 yeah. or even right. like maybe even a teenager, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But I, I suppose it's it's a failing on my part or largely of the culture that we don't think of foster parents as being parents of very young children. Sure. So yeah. is that something that uh, that you find? Do you encounter that? Are people surprised when you, when they say you're fostering? Uh, I think so. I mean, the typical, yeah, your, your image of what foster kids are is pretty typical, I think. But there are a number of young children, sibling sets, all ages, that come through the system at all times. Okay. So. And so you've just got one? I just have one right now. Okay. Have you guys done more than one? Yeah. Wow. How, La- what, what was the most you had? Last year we had twins, twin seven-month-olds. Jeez. That we had for eight months. Wow. So, And I know you understand what that's like to have a, <laughs> a couple of kids, but the same age... Same needs. That made it a little bit easier, but it was totally crazy. We're first-time parents to have twins. God, no kidding, man. At that age. <laughs> um, that's wild. Okay, so this is Justin Feinsilver, and you've been on the show before. Yeah. And uh, we talked 3D printing back then. Yeah. And then I, we talked a little bit about uh, the nonprofit venture that you did as well, mm-hmm. uh, Posthetics. Mm-hmm. Which we, it's funny, we talked about this on the first show, but we tend to keep crisscrossing. Exactly right. Which is too weird because we ended up just sitting next to each other in like this low level creative writing class, Mm -hmm. um, got involved in the radio and then like I lost track of you for like a decade. At least. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, maybe even longer. And then we were at that brewery. We were down at 222, and you mm-hmm. were working there. I'm like, I know this guy. Right. Why? Right. Wh- how? Yeah. And we worked it out. And what was so funny is you told me about the 3D printing store there. Yeah. We got hooked up there. Yep. We got hooked up through Mile High 100. Mm-hmm. And you pitched me this idea yeah. to talk about foster parenting, which I sure. thought was a great idea. Yeah. Because I've, I haven't talked about this at all. Yeah. Um, how and- many people have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when you pitched it to me, I go, yes. Let's do this sure. because this is perfect. So I guess first question would be what compelled you to become a foster parent? Well, my wife in general was kind of the starting point. She's a second grade teacher. Um, and she was her first job out of college was a social worker in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, my mom was a second grade teacher. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you know what that life is like? I do. Um, very passionate people to say the least. Oh, yeah. 
So my wife, um, with her experiences being a social worker, we had talked about it for years of what that was like and her experiences and what she learned and the things she saw, which to put it lightly, were pretty horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, um, we had talked a lot about, we were having those discussions, you know, in our relationship about what's it look like for kids and that sort of thing. And yeah, starting a family. like Starting a family. What's your, what are your thoughts? And I said a lot of the wrong things. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> we had a very, uh, a, a kind of a big fight about it when we were on a trip to Seattle randomly. And, and then I, d- I didn't know this was an option. I didn't think about what this looks like. When you say you said the wrong things, what do you mean? I said, I'm not sure I want to have kids. Oh, okay. That was uh, a you, wrong thing. Right. Yeah, that was the wrong thing for a, a new, new-ish relationship. So we kind of talked more and I learned more about her experiences and, and um, we both kind of just decided to pursue it. We got married uh, a few years ago and then a couple of years after that we were like, let's, let's go down the path. Let's go to some meetings and info meetings and discover what this is all about. And um, even just that is a hard step. Sure. Um, to hear what the responsibilities are for foster parents from the county's perspectives and understanding what, you know, what's being asked of us uh, on top of just caring for kids that we don't know that aren't ours. Right. Um, and so it was, you know, it's kind of challenging to understand what that looks like. So we went over the course of about a year, we went through some info meetings and different things and we kind of finally decided to settle on a direction. Okay. And we went through training, which took about, takes on average four to six months to get certified. Okay. And what, like what's involved in that training? You go through uh, different types of um, parenting training, basic skills, things like that. Then there's also a lot of trauma. Trauma informed training is a big buzzword in our world. Mm -hmm. Um, Understanding, you know, recognizing signs of trauma, understanding what you can do about that. Um, Almost every kid in the foster care system, the reason that they're there is because of trauma. One way or another. Um, They pretty much go hand in hand with a lot of the other causes. So we're learning to recognize those things you know we're getting all the background checks all of the legal process all of those aspects done as well in the same time then they do a home study which is to say put it lightly invasive really um, they ask a lot of questions about very personal things um, about your relationship um, even sometimes about your sex life I mean like things like that really because they want to understand really the whole version of who you are what you are as a couple um, what type of people they are and like I said you go through the background checks and then they you know give you your certification well they're essentially hiring parents correct which is sort of a weird way of thinking about it but makes sense in this context because if you're like biological parents it's weird that you don't, that there's like no vetting that you have to yeah. do right if if you just want to it's like hey let's you know do it without a condom yeah and Let's see what that feels like. Right. Oops, we're parents. We're parents. And it's like that's pretty much all you have to do. But in terms of like you're like raising your hand and saying, I will be almost like a parent for hire, mm-hmm. which that's exactly right. Which is a way that I, I guess I'd never thought of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you have someone wanting to do that, the level of vetting makes sense to me, mm-hmm. um, although it's not something I ever considered. Sure. And you're not alone in that. I mean, a lot of people don't consider it as an option. And you know, that's definitely one of the things that you know, I want to talk about today is how people can get involved because there's a lot of people and we can discuss that later on, but there's a lot of ways that you can get involved in the, in the process without being a foster parent, mm, okay. being supportive of kids, being supportive of charities, being supportive of foster families right. um, directly. And there's some great causes out there that um, people can become a part of so they don't have to take this big leap. And the, the most important thing I want to say about being a foster parent, there's misconceptions about uh, for, for maybe 20, 25 years, foster parenting has kind of 
I don't know. I don't know if I'd say it lived underground, but mm-hmm. you know, people who like yourself, who are I consider very informed about a lot of things, don't know a lot about it, and you're not alone. Like I said, yeah, and it, it's one of those things that if unless you have someone in your immediate circle, mm-hmm. you're not even forced to consider. Sure, and so it's largely invisible Absolutely. in that way. So it and it's not, it's not. I would say maliciousness or malintent, sure. but it's more just general ignorance. Right. You're absolutely right. And, 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 um, the, one of the challenges of being a foster parent is getting through this notion that we're doing it for money. Um, oh, like you're viewing this as a profit center? Correct. What an odd way to make money. Well, it's, it is. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> um, but there are, there have been, just like anything in the world, there are really good foster parents and there are, there are bad ones. And mm-hmm. there have been cases and there have been things and there have been news stories. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we tend to focus more on the negative rather than the, overwhelming positive that people are doing with this with this sort of work and you know i don't think a single foster parent that i know and we know uh, we've developed a really good network of people that we really work with and and become have become advocates with they don't you know we wouldn't say we're martyrs we wouldn't say that we're special and we're not and and Mm -hmm. we're we're really just focused really on the kids in our care and if we throughout our experience what i have to tell my wife and what i tell other people when we talk to them up and coach them through this and things we've received and info we've received from people focus on the kids focus on what they need and the rest of it doesn't matter as much Mm. and the rest of it is the problem (laughs) (laughs) well i i mean having worked in my career extensively in oil and gas Mm -hmm. one thing that is a philosophy is you are only ever as good as your worst operator yep so you will end up answering for the sins of others, yep. no, no matter how disconnected you are and mm-hmm. no matter how much that doesn't mirror your reality. Yep. So no matter what, you're going to hear about the worst actors, yeah. which is really tough. But I want to come back to something. And sure. we, we, we haven't – I don't know that you've addressed this in depth. And if you don't want to, that's okay. But given the level of vetting and given the invasiveness of prepping for this, what ultimately led you to this path – Sure. Versus, you know, like, hey, you know, let's adopt or let's have our own kids or let's sure. be childless bohemians. You right. Know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I like that third option a lot. Um, well, who doesn't? Yeah, right. Adoption, you know, is a great opportunity. There are many agencies that are involved. We researched extensively what that looks like. And there are people that, that do, you know, adoption and just do that, you know, straight in a straightforward way with an agency you know, more power to them, you know, whether it's international or it's local or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, we're all in our own way, um, fulfilling a role, serving a purpose. Yeah. Because there's kids out there who need. Correct. Yeah. All over the United States, all over the world. Um, we kind of got stuck up just on a personal thing of the idea of the notion of the financial aspect of that. Okay. Um, being able to say, well, I mean, we, not exaggerating at all, adoption agency, we talked to a big national one and they said, Word for word, well, it's this amount of money, let's just say $30,000 yeah. if you want a white baby. Jeez. And it's less if you want a, a minority. Yikes. Real, very realistic. This is a national agency. And so sure. we were so appalled by just that conversation. We were like, whoa, is this, is this what we can expect? Yeah. So, again, people go that route, and I respect it, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's got to be like a supply and demand thing, too. Yeah, it is. And kind of what they said and then we're just like whoa that's it's just very strange but i mean that that underpins a larger issue in the culture that is in a lot of ways very dispiriting yes absolutely you're you're absolutely right and and so you know we kind of we explored that and we just decided 
hey, this is the route for us. We don't know. We never really tried to have kids. We don't know mm. if we can. But right. we once we got involved in this, once we saw what this was like and what we understood it to be, at least what we thought it was, uh, and what mm. we've learned it to be now, um, this is the path for us okay. um, to be a part of you know a child's life. So it almost became like it wasn't a calling at first, but now that you're sort of in it, it it's almost become like a calling. Sure. Is that sure. fair to say? Yeah, it's very fair to say. Um, and again, like I said, you know, we don't consider ourselves special. There's a lot of people that do this. Um, you know, th- th- uh, to, to help kids in their community, and that's really what we've just maintained our focus on. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, so you sort of alluded to something there, which is what you thought it was mm-hmm. versus what it has actually been like. And you talked about the vetting, and yeah. I, I, I'm assuming that was very eye-opening. Sure. But what did you think it was going to be like versus what was the reality like of actually having this, right. uh, getting on this road? Well, you kind of have this idea. And again, my, my purpose with these discussions are just to provide a really real perspective of this. Um, because kind of what, just like with a lot of things in the world, you know, um, what's on paper and then the scene between the lines. So there's a, you know, sometimes you, you're, you're told you're going to have a lot of support for XYZ things. For instance, you might get child care financial support. Okay. You might get support with um, rides to visitations. Um, you might get support with rides to counseling and therapy. Um, you might. And notice I've said might. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, because that rarely happens. And, you know, um, a lot of times we have these conversations, um, it's about, well, who's to blame for that? Well, the system is the, the big word I would use. There are so many challenges facing every stakeholder in the system. Um, Caseworkers chronically, I would say fairly for their jobs and how crazy their jobs are, are chronically underpaid um, chronically and probably un- overworked, yeah, overworked and under and un- and and don't have the training that they probably would say that they need. So, for instance, the state of Colorado did a study in 2014. Um, they did a workflow study for the caseworkers currently working and what they predicted the need would be to support child welfare in the state of Colorado. It was determined that we need um, 550 um, odd caseworkers mm-hmm. to fulfill the current need in 2014. And this was a study commissioned by the legislature and the governor office. Um, there's an independent group that did it, and they need somewhere in the neighborhood of, a, of 150, 200 support staff mm-hmm. to be able to support the current caseload. That's, you know, going on four years ago. And that that doesn't account for the turnover. Average caseworker mm-hmm. lasts one and a half years in their job in Colorado. Wow. They get paid when they start somewhere between thirty four and 40000 uh, And they have a, a caseload of um, anywhere from 15 to 25 families. And you said there's five or a need for 550 of them mm-hmm. with about 200 support staff. Yeah. How many were there or are there? Um, how many are there? That is a little bit tough to nail down. It's got to be less than that though, right? Yeah. Uh, well, no, there's a good amount. Okay. There's a good amount. I mean, basically in any day in Colorado, just so we can understand kind of the perspective, we have a, you know, over 5,000 kids in foster care. Wow. Um, and those are, Families, you know, there's a broader set of families that you're dealing with and caseworkers that are handling all those intricacies. So I, I think a good way to put it is imagine the most challenging day of your family's life, whatever that might be. Imagine a person that has to go 
walk into a family they've never met and deal with that most challenging day. Yeah. You know, so let's say the cops get called. Let's say there's an, you know, not necessarily your family, but just for example, um, cops get called um, by a neighbor and they're, you know, suspected child abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine being the person who's got to walk through that door and handle that situation. Yeah. But imagine doing it for 25 families and that's your job. And virtually every day. Every day. Wow. Yeah. It, it reminds me of when I talked to a 911 dispatcher on this right. show. And uh, she said, every day of your life, you are experiencing someone and multiple people's worst day. It's such a good way to put it. That's yeah. exactly right. And they're no, not, not really different. And imagine being, just for the sake of argument, like my wife, who was 21, 22, out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, her first job was as a social worker. Imagine walking into those homes. What did, I mean – I was not in an, any sort of emotional state or mental state to be able to handle <laughs> no. that. And that's what we're seeing a lot of with when we talk about turnover. We have a lot of young um, social workers who get into this role who are woefully, I mean, underprepared. I don't know how you are prepared for this. Yeah. Um, underprepared. So the turnover really is substantial. So when they did that workflow study, um, it didn't account for the turnover. So they've done, you know, similar studies in the, in the previous, uh, uh, even as recently as last year, I saw some data that said we're still kind of seeking the same amount. The state of Colorado allotted in their budget to hire a hundred caseworkers a year since 2014. Mm-hmm. But again, that doesn't count for the ones. That uh, yeah, leave. yeah. Yeah. So the math doesn't quite work out. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned support in terms of like rides to sure. therapy sessions, sure. visitation. Yeah. Can you expand on visitation? Sure. So typically what happens, so the system is set up um, across the board to be reunifying children with their family, okay. whether that's their biological parents or aunts, uncles, grandparents, or family friend. Right. Um, it's a familial unit. Correct. And and there's a lot that goes into those, those decisions. There's a lot of vetting that goes into those family members. And that's the goal. We're trying to put kids back into that that sort of a place. Right. But what happens uh, – so, you know, let's just – you know, sometimes parents are going through – you know, they're going through addiction or they have a criminal issue or whatever the case may be. And they're trying to work through it and they're trying to get to that. What they want to do, in, uh, you know, with the visitation is continue the relationships for the children and their parents. Gotcha. So depending on what the case is and depending on the severity, visitations can be – two to three times a week. They can be more. They can be a couple of hours at a time, or they can be one hour. Mm. They can be supervised by um, a paid supervisor. They can be unsupervised. It de- again, it's really at the mercy of the the, the judge and the caseworkers and, and all the other stakeholders that are involved. Have you been present at, like, a visitation with your Absolutely. kids? And what uh, what is that like? It's just, you know, kind of playing. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, I, it's very hard because it's, it's kind of sterile. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to, for instance, you might go to a county social work, you know, case social worker's office or something like that, or a county building, and you know they have a, a room of toys, and most kids don't know the difference, right? But if you're watching from the outside, you're like, this isn't home, right? And right. This isn't, you know, where I would want my kids to be experiencing these things in their life. Yeah. So it's a li- it's it's challenging, and you know, saying goodbye to the parents um, can be challenging, and and um, being, you know. It, and then the tough part of it as a foster parent is having empathy. Yeah. It is incredibly challenging to hear and to know about some of the challenges and struggles that these kids and families have been through, um, intentional or not, um, and having empathy for the people that may have caused those problems. Yeah. I can't tell you how that's maybe the biggest lesson we've learned um, in our experience and a lot of experiences being, you know, you're supporting people 
that put these kids' lives at risk for whatever the case may be. Right. Um, and having to have, you know, that's, that is incredibly hard um, to do. What is the interaction or what is the reaction like from the biological parents towards you? Sure. So sometimes, you know, it, it depends. It really depends on the, on the people and the relationship. You know, I believe strongly that where possible and where it's safe – you want to have a good relationship with them um, if you can. Sure. Um, there are times where that's not possible. Um, there are times where, um, despite your best efforts to support their family and support their kids, and, and you know, uh, trying to give, paint this picture, you go through in your head as a foster parent, what is wrong with these people? Right. Why, you know, I'm, we're putting our family out on the line here to help you out. But you have to understand where they're coming from and that um, so much of, what they're going through is cyclical in their lives and in their family. Um, for instance, and we can touch back on this, but I stood up in a room of 40 foster parents recently just because of morbid curiosity. Unfortunately, I said, how many people in this room have, have or have had foster placements whose parents were also foster kids? And out of 40 people, they all stood up. Whoa. So think about the system that we're trying to be repairing these families and repairing these children's lives. And we're seeing that not work. And we're seeing, um, you know, kids end up back in the system or have kids at a young age or whatever the case is and be and land their kids land back in. So I I need to unpack that for a minute where the, the kids that are in foster care were the biological kids of people who were serving as foster parents. They were no, they were foster kids themselves. So oh, foster kids are I going fo- through the system, not understanding, you know, whatever, you know, they may not have gotten the help or treatment and the things that they needed. They whether they go home or they're with foster parents, they're doomed to repeat what I got happened you. to them. Oh, I f- okay, yeah. I follow you. Yeah, uh, yeah, I misunderstood. No, no worries. Um, but wow, okay, that's uh, that's tough. That's very tough. And so, I mean, what you're describing, there can be tension between the biological parents and foster parents. Totally. How do you manage that? How do you deal with that? Focus on the kids. Right. I mean, that's really what we had to get back to. We've had some, you know, we've had some challenging, contentious cases we've been a part of. We've had, we've heard about a lot. And, and really, you know, what the, the old guard of the foster parent world, the people that we know that have been doing it for 25 years that have fostered 50, 60 kids. Jeez. Imagine the things they've seen. They, you know, they say it's about, let's just focus on the kids. Make their day. Every day, you need to absorb the, everything around them. They need stability in their life. They need mm-hmm. to know that people love them and that they're kind of attached to them. Right. Um, and that how important that is. Well, it's to, to relate this in my own sort of small way. Mm-hmm. Uh, a parenting philosophy that my wife and I have is we put our kids on a schedule. Right. And having a schedule was really important because we, we thought – Okay, you are a baby. You're a small child. You, the world is completely unknowable and you've explored 0% of it. So if you can eliminate some of that uncertainty mm-hmm. and give them structure, if, if they know I'm going to eat now, I'm going to sleep now, I'm going to eat at this point, et cetera, et cetera. If the day is sort of laid out, you eliminate or at least mitigate some of that uncertainty. And that in a different way sounds like what you're describing. Yes. You're, you're right on with that. I like that philosophy a lot. I'm going to have to borrow that. <laughs> Well, that one's free. So, yeah, perfect. Uh, that's all good. So how many are, – are you on your second kid now? Um, we're on our – I would – our fourth placement. We've fourth done, placement. Yeah, we've done what's called respite care. 
um, for uh, uh, other foster family um, who was out of town. We watched one of their kiddos for a week last summer. Mm. Um, so we're, I mean, we're new to the game. Okay. Um, and we don't by no means have, you know, supposed that we know everything about this. We've just been trying to learn from other people who have been through this and right. understand what they've seen. And really because of, you know, my wife's experience and as a social worker and a teacher and, you know, the experiences of the other foster families, we're, we really want to be trying to push forward with a lot of advocacy mm-hmm. for the kids that we serve, the families that we're working with, and, and ourselves as well. How do you determine how long a placement is? Or does, sure. does that sort of reveal itself on a case-by-case basis? It absolutely does. So the rule states that in the state of Colorado, it's uh, ex- in a, um, EPP case, which stands for Expedited Permanency Plan. So any kid under five years old, it is supposed to be that they have either um, are returned home or returned to family within a year or have an adoptive placement. That's it. Mm. And there, it was something that a lot of people fought really hard for um, to, to bring, you know, I think it's probably been in place for about 20 years now or more than 20 years um, to make that the goal. Because what we're seeing is the stability is absolutely needed and so imperative. Just what you talked about with your your family, having that stability is imperative for kids. Yeah, and 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 not being bounced around and um, just for the sake of argument, you know, and and previous cases that we've heard about, you know, you have six seven month kids who have been in four placements. Mm. How can they attach to who do the, who's who's their mom and dad? Who yeah. is someone that cares for them? Yeah, and so you're 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 seeing a lot of that, which you know is incredibly challenging. I mean, I, I'm just, uh, I'm trying to frame it up the best way that I can, um, as far as, you know, kind of what this ex- experience is, yeah. you know, and I touched on some of the stakeholders. So that's something I wanted to kind of walk through a little bit. Yeah, by um, all means. The, so there, every child, um, who is put in the system or children that are put in the system are, uh, have a court appointed attorney, um, who looks out for their best interest. That's called a guardian ad litem. Um, they're involved heavily in the case. Um, you have a caseworker who's managing the case and the family, and they're not only managing the placement with us, the, the children and their well-being, they're managing the bio families and the services that they're receiving, um, addiction counseling, domestic violence, whatever it is. And then you have, um, you have a CASA worker, mm-hmm. um, which is a court-appointed special advocate. They're a third-party volunteer position who's involved in almost every case um, wow. we definitely need more casa workers so that's one little plug <laughs> and it's and it's fairly easy to become one of those you know go through a little bit of a process but um there are people who you know just like us are trying to help and care for these kiddos and look out what for what's best for them so every one of those people has to visit with the kids in the placement depending on their role between one and three months once every one month or once every three months okay so they're seeing the kids in the placement they're interacting with the foster parents and they are in very aware of what's going on with the parents in their case um so they're really you know a lot of times they're really the recommendation makers decision makers in a case and so they're the ones that are saying if at six months for instance, if at six months mom and dad aren't engaging and they're not working on their treatment plan, whatever those goals have been set forth, um, you know, we're going to make a different plan and we're going right. to look for an adoptive home. And that's by no means not every case. Um, we're here, here of cases, even with this EPP rule in place, that go on two, three, four years. Mm. Um, so it gets really tangled in yeah. this system. And despite all the people that are working really hard for the kids and the families, there's not a lot they can do yeah. in some cases. I mean, what you're describing is 
wrenching to listen to in a lot of ways. Um, and you're, you're sort of volunteering for this in a cyclical way to mm-hmm. do this again and again and again, which, I mean, you say, you know, we're not martyrs, we're not heroes, we're not sure. anything like that. I think from the outside looking in, there's, there's a component to where certainly as I'm listening to it, I'm like, I don't know if I have the sort of moxie for that. You know, and it's extremely challenging. Um, that is for sure. And, and, you know, having empathy one direction and having care for the kids in another direction, but also trying to fight for what you think are best interests is another yeah. direction and understanding the roles and the players and the stakeholders and, and what the goal is. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that's a little bit of, of the challenge of, of what foster parents are asked to do. And that's not even talking about the day-to-day. So when we're talking about visitations, right. um, we drove um, two counties away to take kids to a visitation mm-hmm. twice a week. So I'm out of work 20 hours a week um, for that. So, and, 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 you know, or doctor's appointments, if you have kids that have medical needs, you know, kids have asthma and they have to go see specialists all over the city and the state. Um, that's happens. Well, your, your current kiddo is what, seven months old? She is um, 15 months. 15. Yeah. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, kids, especially in that first year of life, they're going to the doctor a lot anyway. T- totally. So, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's just best case scenario. Right. Right. So you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that's uh, underrated here that we haven't talked about is you're caring for these kids. You obviously form a connection with them. How is it? And, and how do you manage to ultimately when they're out of your care is say goodbye? The hardest day of your life. Yeah. Um, one of the really um, kind of the old school foster moms that I've, I've talked to who I really respect and who's had that 25, you know, 30 kids in her home in her, in her time, um, she said foster parents have big hearts that have a lot of scars. Yeah. And that's really – I've never heard anyone put it so succinctly. Um, that's how I feel. Um, mm. When, you know, when kiddos go back home, you know, you're, you're really – despite if you agree with it or not, you know, um, it's impossibly hard. It's like a, you know, I, I can't equate it to that, but just imagine never seeing them again. Right. And that's likely what the case is going to be. Now, if that's a contentious case, that might be the, the way it is. Some foster parents are asked to stay, not legally in any way, but asked by bio families to stay in a supportive role sure. um, and say, you know, I'd love to, we know how hard it is. You know, a foster parent might say to a bio parent, we know how hard it is to manage the four or five kiddos you have. We're happy to take them on weekends. And a lot of bio families take them up on that. Hmm. We love to take them on weekends. That way you're having, no matter what, you're having a really positive, you're having positive people um, in their lives to start. Um, and, you're, and the bio families are, are receiving a lot of assistance. And there's a lot of those relationships that do happen. And it's not all the time. Um, yeah. And, you know, you may never see some kids again. And that's oh, incredibly heartbreaking to yeah. think about. That's, I, in some ways, it's unimaginable. Yeah. But it's, it's a reality. It is. What else should we know about foster parenting that we don't? Sure. I kind of touched on a little bit about the getting paid for foster care. Right. Um, so I will, you know, reimbursement rates vary. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you certainly know what it takes financially to raise a child. Yes. And a lot of, you know, the average rates, depending on where you are um, in the state of Colorado, range from could be 300 a month per kid to upwards, if they're medically fragile, over 1,000. Mm. Um, but let's just go with a child, child care bill, for instance. Um, I pay 1,300 a month for that yeah. um, because we're both working fa- parents. Um, so our reimbursement is less than, ha- or a little bit more than half of that, mm-hmm. which is, which is 
great and it's helpful and we absolutely need every penny of that to make this work but we've paid in our pla- current placement paid $4,500 out of pocket Jeez. over and above that that cost so again you know that's uh, a parent such as yourself you know you might have to put a kiddo in child care some people who be, might be listening might be like well that's just parenting right right that's true but and I, i'm not trying to draw a line in the sand by any means but the the difference is all the rest that comes with it of the court cases and having to go to that the time you miss from work mm-hmm. the visitations the doctor's visits all the things we've discussed um on top of that aspect of it the financial component plus just caring for him and surviving yeah. um you know as a as a parent so um all of those other challenges were no better or worse than any other parent i'm not saying that it's just one of those things where it's like there's just added a mess to it that's just right. not as straightforward well and and you are you are supporting a system it, it's it's one of those things where you're paying out of pocket for a thing that in an ideal world wouldn't even need to exist. Correct. You know what I mean? So yep. you are you are trying to raise up those who have been through what is almost certainly unimaginable yep. hardship. Yeah. And the fact that this is a service, you know, you are parents for hire yeah. as as we discussed and that job doesn't pay very well. It doesn't. Um that's uh, your your statement stands uh, starkly. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Sure. So, and I I know again, you're not trying to make this out to be sort of a woe is me thing, but it's right. like here's the reality. Yeah, this is just the reality. Like here here's what it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. So one of the other challenges we face in the state of Colorado, uniquely, somewhat uniquely, we are one of nine states um, who uh, does a state managed county administered foster care system which means um that in 64 counties in the state of colorado Mm -hmm. um we are you know they're facilitating and providing services big small and everything in between not in their own way but with their own abilities um you know if it's a small county um in colorado you may only have one caseworker you know, mm-hmm. that's may be all you need, even though I'm going to tell you right now that you need more. Right. Um, and you might have counties like Denver or Douglas that have hundreds, you know, um, that are handling, you know, the bigger population centers. Um, but because we are somewhat unique in that, um, it, it brings its own challenges and really tangles the web in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what I hear just very clearly from foster parents that we've talked to, oh, don't work with County X because it's a mess Mm. don't or you should work with county z because they do a great job talking to someone who you know like yourself who you know that sounds kind of crazy it's like shouldn't we be looking for the same outcomes or using the same procedures or really training the people the same way um and on paper that's what we should be doing right but we shouldn't be having those conversations as foster parents and with foster kids and bio families all having different experiences um that's that's hard to deal with um and we've worked with one we've worked with four three counties now okay different experience every time yeah yeah absolutely well it in my day job i mm-hmm. i work with a lot of sort of intergovernmental communication mm-hmm. and navigating not only different types of bureaucracy but different levels of bureaucracy yes the way the state functions is much different than the way a county functions yep. is much different than the way a city functions mm-hmm. uh, and then depending on the number of agencies that you're dealing with yeah um, and in this case, you know, you've got the court systems, you've got uh, different regulatory arms, you've got Department of Human Services. Sure. Uh, the way all of those things talk to each other yeah. is challenging even in the best of circumstances. Yeah. So uh, I, I sympathize with you there. Yeah. And so, you know, if you if you kind of 
start to put weave the story together. You have caseworkers who are underpaid, um, maybe probably more than likely overwhelmed and undersupported. Um, who I mean, I would say, along with teachers and nurses and doctors and fire, you know, they're uh, they're silver servants in in a way that none of us really would even understand. Right. And, and you know, um, I'm not trying to be on my soapbox, but my God, if we're talking about people, they're in my in my opinion, they're really kind of a pillar. That's really holding us up Certainly. a little bit. And I, I really strongly feel that they need more tools. They need more people. They need more funding. Um, and, you know, and I'm saying that simply because of the situations we've seen um, that I think are incredibly, you know, daunting. And I would never want to be a, have a day in their shoes. Never, mm-hmm. ever. And so, but, you know, then you, on the flip side, as a foster parent, you're like, wow, you know, I just need the support for my caseworker, I can't get it. Right. And it's like, you have to remember again, that empathy word. Yeah. What are they going through? My, my case is the most important thing to me and my family. They have 25 of those. Yeah. So it's that like weird world. So I have, you know, we're really trying to figure out ways, um, to be more supportive of, of uh, social workers in general and their, and their whole communities and their supervisors and all of that. And then understanding and educating, you know, being educated about the court process what that looks yeah. like, um, how foster parents and bio parents can be more educated about what rights are. Um, and one thing I'll say, and just to kind of, you know, no opinion, but the, the Children's Code in the state of Colorado says reasonable efforts must be made to reunify okay. with, with, with bio parents. Um, I think if you and I were to sit down, we could write 10 definitions each of what that is. None yeah. of them might be the same. And that's a challenge. That's a term with a lot of ambiguity. It's a lot of ambiguity. And so when we're operating under those sort of rules and we have people, you know, again, we have people that are having tough times in their jobs and they have really hard jobs and they have crazy families and you have this and that and the other going on. How, how can we focus on the goal of the kids? Yeah. And that's where this just twisted machinery, it's just exactly how you described, yeah. gets so, we get so tied up in that. Well, there's – and I, I, I don't want to get on my soapbox either, but there's – and not to turn this into a political discussion, but this conversation that we're having about workers who are doing unfathomable work to the majority yeah. of the population, there's a, a vein of anti-government, sort of nihilistic yeah. – you know. Let's shrink government, shrink it, shrink yep. it, shrink it, yep. uh, you know, defund it, cut taxes, right. all that, right? Right. And I understand that in the abstract, but I think what's underappreciated is the real world people and yep. the real world situations yep. that are that don't make front page news like this, that by doing that, by blowing it up, by throwing a grenade into our system, the, the collateral damage is going to be much broader and deeper sure. than than anyone would would anticipate or appreciate and right. it's one of those things too where i mean we've we've talked a little bit about the charitable giving arm you mentioned casa yeah i've had sherry shink on the show from rocky mountain children's law center and there's certainly a place for nonprofits in this but nonprofits cannot do all of the work necessary in terms of let's call this the social safety net Yes. You know, there there is a place for them, but they cannot be the end-all, be-all, one-stop fix. Correct. You're absolutely so. right about that. And, um, yeah, no, they're, they're, we have to partner and be intelligent and be advocates for, you know, making the changes that we seek that we think could be helpful to everyone who sits around the table. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's incredibly challenging and daunting. And so we're kind of trying to bite off little pieces of this at a, at a time. And so... F- 
you know, kind of in that same vein, like what you were discussing. In the state of Colorado, we pay in the neighborhood of thirty-nine to forty-two thousand. I think it was estimated about that in two thousand fifteen per, per inmate in the state of Colorado. Okay. It's estimated nationally that between 20 and 40% of foster youth who age out of the system, who don't have that supportive family or whatever the case is, mm-hmm. end up in, in um, prison. Oh. So there's, it's a uh, kind of a correlation. You know, it's obviously not a direct A and B correlation. But when we think about spending that much a year to be reactive mm-hmm. rather than being proactive. So, for instance, I... We had some. There's been some um, new bills that have come through the, the state house and the senate, um, and I was fortunate enough to be to testify for for those. One of them in particular supports um, uh, having more childcare assistance, financial assistance for childcare. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I did some rough numbers. And I was comparing, you know, those kind of numbers of how much we spend per inmate, and again, not a direct correlation. But let's just say I were to receive $10,000 a year for, for that assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're trying to do by supporting foster parents more financially and in other ways is to keep placements intact, to keep stability for kids. Right. It's imperative. It's absolutely imperative that they have a place that they uh, – a time in their life, whether it's permanent or not, that they can connect to and say, wow, that's, that's what this sh- – you know, it should have been like. You know, yeah. Kids don't choose their parents. And that is a cycle, unfortunately, um, that continues with a lot of, with, in, in a lot of times in our society, um, you know. And so, you know, let's do some things to support kids now, where we can be keeping them out of prison. We can give them stability. We can help them with education. And there's a lot of a lot of Senate and House bills that are coming up um, that are dealing with those exact pieces. And it's going to be little pieces at a time to address these concerns. Well, to turn this message uh, to invert it a little bit. What you're describing is almost like an investment model. Yes. You know, so yep. if we invest this amount of money, yeah. the payoff will be savings of this much down yep. the road, yep. or it will be, you know, these positive contributions to society where sure. we're not, you know, we're not looking at the cost center of prisons necessarily. Correct. You, you are limiting that. And I, w- I would say pretty much universally, prison is not or should not be looked at as, you know, like, hey, no, that's. <laughs> this this is a good thing, you know, right. that, that we have a huge prison budget. Right. I don't know that anyone would say that yeah. outside of the most craven, awful person on earth. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. So, you know, we're trying to have a society here to quote George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, it's like, okay, let's invest this amount of money now and we can save it this much down the line or this much times one and a half or times three or whatever. Like, I don't know what the number is. You're but. absolutely right. So, yeah, that's interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of different ways to kind of look at this. And I said, like I said, there's not direct correlations, but there are correlations uh, of what we're seeing. And we're seeing, you know, this cyclical. Um, I had I um, I was at a, a meeting recently and I was mentioning, you know, we we're talking about the cycle of foster care and foster parents. Um, someone estimated to me, someone who's been involved in the system for about 25 years, said that they think it's about 70 percent of of kids that end up in foster care, um, their parents were also foster kids. Wow. And what's happening a lot of cases, and it's something that we certainly can be addressing now and more of these things are happening, is that foster kids age out of the system at, at, at 18. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't established, haven't had the opportunity to establish family connections with foster family, adoptive family, or their bio families, most of them end up homeless or they end up as criminals, yeah. and, and despite their best efforts, and there are some kids in the in the testimony a couple of weeks ago, I was th- floored 
by the accomplishments of some of these kids that are 18, 19 years old yeah. who have had the most challenging life you could ever imagine, who are 4.0 students, who are going to college. I mean, that's those are the people we should be lifting up yeah. and we should really be focusing on because they're doing it even when the system is kind of a mess. They're the ones that we should be really focusing on and, and having them. And they're, they're doing a lot of advocacy now, which is great speaking to to us and to other groups and saying you know this is this is what we need i had to fight in tooth and nail but just with a little bit of help a lot of kids could end up this way mm-hmm. end up like me and that's so encouraging to hear yeah i'm excited to hear that actually in your estimation having been at this uh you know and and you said compared to a lot of foster parents you know who have yeah. 25 30 40 placements whatever it yeah. is what do you see as the needed sort of fixes Sure. To the system. Sure. What, what could improve uh, things for foster kids and for foster families such as yourself? Absolutely. Well, I think that there's just little things, little things that um, could be done to kind of start. If you're driving two counties away, just for the sake of argument, you're putting, um, you're putting a ton of miles on your car and things like that. I've suggested why not make that a mileage write-off for your, for your taxes just, mm-hmm. just as if you were an independent contractor. I think that's such a no-brainer. Yeah, that's easy. It's super easy. I also look at foster care as, as a civic duty in some regards. And, you know, we all get off for jury duty even though we dread it, right? And right. some of us love it. I kind of love it. I'm a nerd that way. <laughs> but I think there's opportunities where we could be looking at um, providing foster parents, we have to ask. Uh, I, now, I'm fortunate enough to own my own business and be flexible in my time, but yeah. um, being out of work 20 hours a week, some weeks um, last year, that's impossibly hard. Oh yeah, um, it's impossibly hard. And and so I think that there's opportunities. And if we look, look about, upon it as a civic duty, where we could be saying, foster parents, if you have an active placement, you know, unpunishable by work, they can have a couple of hours off a month that they don't have to take off. That mm, yeah. just something simple like that. Right. And the other big piece of it is that the state, um, Colorado Department of Human Services, great people. They are working as hard as they can to deal with these problems. But they, especially within the child welfare sector, um, they are facing, you know, we're actively trying from the fall of last year through the next year and a half, actively trying to recruit 1,500 foster parents in Colorado wow. to deal with what they will, you know, the, the growing need from every number of things in society. And you know, we have to be able to have, you know, absolutely has nothing to do with us, but just to say people like us who want to get involved, who want to take this journey or be helpful to people, you know, in this yeah. journey, um, to be able to be supportive because, you know, if someone, if you were to just ask me, would I recommend, would, would I recommend being a foster parent? I would say, how much time can we talk about it um, in <laughs> advance? And then let me tell you all the stuff that's going to happen. And then you decide yeah. because on paper, like I said, it's, it's one way. And then how it really is, is 50 different ways. Right. And listen to this show first. Sure. Right. Yeah. Do, do that as sort of like step one. Step one. Um, yeah. And then you're going to need to do a much, much deeper dive following Absolutely. that. You also mentioned there are ways to support foster parents yeah. without necessarily becoming one yourself. Sure. How can someone do that? Well, I'm going to mention a few different organizations that we're, we are really passionate about um, that, that are really super supportive of foster parents and foster kids. Um, one of them is Foster Family Assist, based in Col- um, just outside of Colorado Springs. And what um, she focuses on is providing, you know, kind of those those, you know, 3 a.m. phone call, I'm going to, this. she wants to stop um, kids being moved around, disrupting placements. That's her goal. So she's raising money and funds for specifically to be able to say, all right, foster parent X, you're losing it. I'm going to pay for a nanny to come and babysit for two hours so you can go 
to a movie or go or I'm going to pay for right. you to go to dinner. That's like that's her goal. Her name is Carrie. She's incredible, um, and she's really focusing on keeping placements intact. Just giving a parent. Every parent needs a breather, yeah. and that's one of the weird worlds of what we do. Is that we can't just give them to our parents to watch the kids for the weekend. We have they have to be approved and they have oh, to be wow. certified. So it's really challenging. We don't have that. Let's drop them off at the in laws. It's let me find a certified respite provider who's got a background check who lives near me. Jeez. Good luck doing that. And that's challenging. Some people uh, have better luck than others. Um, another group that's really awesome run by one of our friends named Hope um, is called Foster Together. Mm-hmm. So fosterfamilyassist.com, Foster Together. The, uh, Foster Together focuses on um, partnering people in localized neighborhoods and, and areas to say, bring a foster family just dinner once a month. If yeah. you, would you agree to do that? How easy would that be to make a lasagna, you know, or something like that? Would you agree to helping support, you know, whether it's a ride to a visit or uh, whatever? Hope is awesome, and she's really pushing yeah. a lot of those things forward. Or can you go, like, what, like, rake leaves or something? You know? Right. right. Choose, yeah. it's just, she's really focusing on connecting people in communities with foster parents. And you wouldn't know unless you have yeah. someone who's out there doing it. You know, you, it's likely you have foster parent in your community or a few, yeah. unless you go out and say, you know, with a bullhorn and ask, <laughs> how are you going to know? Right? right. So her job is connecting us with community members who want to be supportive, an easy way to support foster wow, that's families. That's awesome. Um, one other one I'll mention, or a couple of others, Foster Source. I know these all sound kind of similar. Foster Source is a kind of a jack of all trades. They focus on a lot of training for us. As foster parents, we have to re, we have to get trained in parenting and different in trauma, twenty four hours a year to get recertified. Oh wow! Yeah, right. I would say that most parents probably don't do twenty four hours of training for anything. Ah, uh, no, <laughs> right. <laughs> so we have to recertify every year with twenty four hours of training for both parents. Wow! Um, and they they put on programs, informative programs. They put on legislative roundtables, and that's run by Renee and Brian, and they are awesome too. And then uh, one more group that we work with, um, and specifically, and then our own little group. Um, Megan's Wish and our group is called the Closet Cooperative and we both work on getting those emergency middle of the night placements we put together clothes and bags for teen moms who are mm-hmm. you know don't have anyone um, or for foster families who are getting a placement in the middle of the night my wife has taken over our basement and filled it and we're not alone in this because Megan's Wish does something very similar Gwen is her name and she's amazing too um, we fill our basement with donations from people who are just trying to get rid of their kids clothes which is constant oh god yeah I, I can relate to that yeah. immediately yeah so. and so we put together little care packages for whatever they need uh, Megan's Wish focuses on a lot of just getting toothbrushes and yeah. diapers and, and, and they do clothes too and we work collaboratively with them to provide clothes and fill in the gaps where we need. Sometimes it's a stroller. Sometimes it's a bed. Yeah. You never know. A sleep sack. A sleep, like whatever. A sleep sack. I love the sleep sack. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, um, you can find Megan's Wish um, on, on Facebook and then the Closet Cooperative is our little thing on Facebook too. Well, Justin, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll have all of these organizations linked in the companion Perfect. blog piece to awesome. this episode. Great. So if you're listening to this, you just go to johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us and you can find links to all these places on the companion blog piece that'd be great um so yeah i mean that that sounds fantastic so given those resources i mean those are supporting foster parents that are already out there doing it right. or, or you know people who are in the system or are getting ready to enter the system what else can we do like we've, we've talked proactive versus reactive sort of solutions sure what else in that vein 
I think, you know, for the people that are hearing this and that um, understand the challenges and, and, and want to talk about it more, I can make sure that John has my contact info as well. Um, but I think that, you know, look at becoming a foster parent. Look at being able to provide respite. Even if you just said, hey, I can ha- take a kid for a weekend a month to mm-hmm. help a foster family, that's a great way to do it. Providing loving, caring, stable places for kids is probably the most proactive thing we can do yeah. and and supporting the people that are doing it and then also you know taking that jump yourself if one person listens to this and becomes a foster parent i will be ecstatic <laughs> to hear that so like that's i think that's one of my personal goals but um one of our friends said it best her mantra is it's um much easier to raise a decent person than to fix a broken man or a woman yeah and if you kind of just to sum up and you think about what that means if we can give these kids the opportunity to have the stability to be who they should be which are just kids um have the experiences of you know the things we all take for granted just going to the store going to the zoo they don't not everyone has that opportunity yeah and so you know and again like i said unfortunately not all of us choose get to choose our parents um and that's kind of the challenge of life so I would just say let's focus on what things we can do to support the people that are already doing it. If you're interested in becoming a foster parent, do it. Go to a meeting and do it. And and then, you know, thirdly, it's just looking out and understanding what the challenges are in the community for um, kids and families who are out there under and, and having that big heart and empathy for for them. How can you help people from entering the foster care system? Mm-hmm. Can we be providing them support? Do they just need food? Do they just need um, counseling? Do they just need those aspects? Counties are pretty good at that, but in, in, in true summary, foster care should never exist, right? Right. That's the goal. How can we get to that point? It may, it may never get there, but let's reduce from 5,000. Let's get down to 1,000 or 500 kids in Colorado. Yeah. And I think that there's tools in, in the legislative way. There's tools that we can be helping with nonprofits. And there's just people being more active and understanding about what this process is for kids um, that we can really start to kind of peel back those numbers, yeah. which would be great. Well, Justin, I'll tell you what. This was uh, an incredibly informative episode and in a lot of ways very harrowing to yeah. listen to. Yeah. Um, so – I appreciate your candor. I appreciate your insight. And more than anything, I appreciate the work you do. And I'm proud to be a part of your orbit. So, Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And uh, continued success to you, my man. Thanks a lot for having me. That wraps up an incredible episode of the John of All Trades podcast. Number 174 was Justin Feinsilver, foster parent and advocate. Please go to the John of All Trades companion blog, jonofalltrades.us. You'll find a list of those organizations that Justin articulated at the end of that episode. Please get involved. Please help support this community. And you know what? Let's do right for some kids. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. And our sponsor is 4 Degrees, number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you are building something online, 4 Degrees is the only place you need to call. They will design you a website, and then they will get your message, your campaign, your product, your service, whatever, in front of the people who need to see it most at a cost that is very reasonable. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades is on social media. J-O-A-T pod is the handle for Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook's the only place to find exclusive episode previews. Those go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. And I've got a brand new one coming next week. It's very, very exciting, so make sure you come back here for that. And until I hear you back here again, 
Say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak.